Hello everybody, this is Diane. And this is Kate. And welcome to ArtWise. Alright, so today we have a guest finally on our podcast. <laughs> um, we've been trying to have guests and for whatever reason, the past few that we have haven't worked out. So keep your fingers crossed that this one's okay. All right. I'd like to introduce uh, Billy Merriman. He uh, has a, a vast history of, of working in the art field, uh, but most recently he's been a art manager slash art director. Um, and his name's Billy Merriman. And he's also just coincidentally happens to be my father. Uh, welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So uh, just to get us started, why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit about your background um, and kind of like what your experience is in the industry? Yeah. So um, most of my experience uh, professionally has been um, in apparel. Um, so the design and the product development of it. So not just uh graphics on t-shirts but also developing the whole uh the whole garment um and the decorations that go with it so that's been a little bit uh with a couple uh two major corporations and then um did a little teaching in between and uh started my career with freelance did a lot of freelance logo designs uh worked on some um uh like uh, signage for out of retail, outside of retail, some store window decoration, things like that. That was really early on. Uh, went into publishing, uh, did some artwork for some books and uh, ended up at Children's Magazine. And from the magazine, I went to uh, straight into apparel. And so I started there as an artist, uh, actually a production artist, and then uh, creative uh, pretty quickly. And then uh, work my way up into into management so um that's where i was last uh, at a like a full-time job and i mainly do freelance now uh with a variety of uh clients how, how is that is that good i mean you know it's it's freelance anybody that does freelance knows that you you have to work hard to get uh your customers unless you have a set of regular customers um, and you have to, uh, it's, it's very tough right now uh, to be competitive because, and I'm not, I'm not putting any one group down or anything, but there's a lot of competition from different countries where, especially if that country does not have the same cost of living that we do in the U S they can charge a lot less. And so, um, in places, certain places where you would get, uh, and I won't mention the names where you can get, uh, freelancers, um, there's a lot of competition there. So you can still get work. It's not impossible. And, and, and some people associate a lower cost with lower quality, and that's not always the case. There's a, a lot of very talented artists, um, especially in the, uh, the area of, um, of Asia. But just because they're cheaper, now some may not be as high quality, but a lot of them are. It's just that they don't have to charge as much. So um, it's, it can be very competitive depending on the field you're in, but, uh, overall it's, it's pretty good. Uh, I get by because of my contacts. Yeah, it is very important to be able to see, uh, <laughs> that's, that's funny. 
<laughs> Diane, did you get my shot? Or did yeah, it take a minute? Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Because I would have explained it, but. Cool. Okay. So what qualities and skills should a good artist and designer have? What do you think is important for someone in the industry to have? Um, you know, a lot of what I would think would probably be seem, seem, uh, you know, like common sense or pretty straightforward. But really, <laughs> I mean, creativity is just one word. You just have to be creative. You have to figure out ways to get where you want to go. Every assignment is going to be different. Um, especially if you do freelance, if you're in one industry and you work in that industry, you're going to get to know that industry really well. And you're going to know what's a, a qualification of that. But everybody has to figure out a way that they're going to work that they can produce work. People use terms like artist block. And as a profession, you, that's not an excuse. So you can't have that as an excuse when you're a professional. So you have to figure out ways around that. So you have to be you know, innovative. You have to be creative. And you have to be a little bit crafty and not, you know, not in a, uh, a grandma knitting way, but, you know, in a way that it's the work done. So... Yeah. So would you say that like uh, freelance artists have a benefit, uh, have like a sort of like an advantage over um, artists that work full time at one job since they're able to be more diverse with the kind of work that they're doing as opposed to someone like me who just does the same thing every single day at like a nine to five? Or do you think that freelance artists have like kind of a benefit over that of being more flexible and able to do more things? Well, it depends on what what you define as a, as a benefit or advantage, because there's advantages on both sides. When you work a full time job, you get a steady paycheck. When you're freelance, you could have one job that's a major job, and it, you know it could pay you uh, ten thousand dollars. And the next month you could have a steady work that's maybe six and you're like, okay, for the year you end up more than the full-time artist, but the next year you could have a very bad year. So there's advantages to both. As far as doing the work, I would say um, if you like variety, you are a hustler, you like to go out and get to work, there's definitely advantage of being a freelance artist if you like to do lots of different things. And of course, you're capable of doing all those things. You don't want to over, you don't want to ever over promise. Um, make sure that you can do it before you say you can do it. If you're going to kind of um, learn as you go, then, uh, you know, you got to accept that, you know, you might lose a job here and there. But uh, but if you keep learning, learning is the key. If you keep willing to learn and teach yourself different things, uh, there's no end to, you know, who you can work with. The list of clients I have um, is is has quite a bit of variety and and each one was a different assignment and it was really fun i probably did uh got most of the the variety i get a lot of the same type people now but most of the variety i had with a lot of different companies was uh around 2000 to uh, 2007 to 2008 so um but they were all different and it was really fun so as an artist growing and developing and getting better at your craft depending on what you want that to be, meaning illustration versus design. Uh, if you really like working on websites, that's going to be completely different from an illustrator. Apparel decoration is going to be completely different from uh, UI or UX. So it just depends on what you want to do. Now, if you like it all, then yeah, freelance, you'll have the advantage of 
doing a bunch of different projects, unless you're an, a freelance illustrator and you're known for one type of thing. If all you want to do is draw this one type of thing this way, then you're, you're going to know that unless you have steady clients that want that all the time, um, you're going to have a lot of, you know, peaks and valleys. So from your experience, would, uh, in terms of like the, the people, um, would you say that it's easier? Cause it, from my experience, experience personally i find that it's easier to work with the same people at work every day as opposed to whenever i do, do pick up like commissions and freelance work i find that like people that commission me are uh, like nine times out of ten way more difficult to to work with just in terms of like you know wanting a million revisions and then not wanting to pay for them or even i've had a lot of people uh, commission me and then I've done the work and then they just stop answering out of nowhere and I've just put in hours and hours of work and never got paid for it. How do you how do you deal with things like that? And do you think that um, that's kind of a benefit over working a, a, a regular job? Or do you think that it's like more risky to do that? Because obviously, I mean, if you're working a full-time job, you have a steady income, but do you think it's it's like worth like having the diversity to, to do that or? I think it depends on the person. Uh, what, what you just described was, was one of the biggest risks. That's the risk that you do it. That's why a lot of artists, even if they are freelance, some artists just don't get along with people. Some artists don't get, they don't work well within a team. And so when you look at it in that, in that perspective, um, what happens is they say, well, I'll just work as a freelancer. And if you have the personality to work with people on a level um, that even if they're difficult, you can kind of coax that out of them, um, then you don't mind the what you might call a difficult client. You don't see them that way. So a lot of it is all your perspective. It's how you talk to people. It's how you make them feel involved in the decisions, even though you're, you, you know, you're going to do the art. It's also how you protect yourself. Um, it's always better to have contracts, make them sign a contract. If they're not willing to do it, you say, well, then I'm going to have to ask for half of the money up front. So there's ways that you start to learn that you do it. Now, some people, no matter what you try and do, and in my experience, there's been a couple of times where I haven't been paid for work, but it's, but in my all years, it's been maybe twice. And it's because they were people that I knew, or they were friends of friends. And I did, I did a form, even though I let them name their price, uh, even though I would have charged more and, and they, they, they flaked out. And, and it was a situation where I was like, well, they're a friend. I won't give them a contract. We'll just do it this way. But um, legitimate customers, um, I found that even if they ask you for a lot of revisions, if you're, if you're cool about it and you're like, no, no, no problem. It's like whatever you need and you, you take your customer service, you have to treat it like customer service that, you know, you're a business. And even though you're a business of one, you're still a business and every business should have good customer service, no matter what that business is. So you have to treat it like that. And I'm not saying necessarily in, in your experience, that that wasn't the case. I'm just saying that a lot of younger artists um, will forget about that and think, well, I'm the artist. You can't do it without me. Well, yeah, they can. They can find another artist. So it, it's just one of those things that becomes something you have to learn and you have to get skilled at. I think in the early days, it was difficult. Um, the first publishing gig I got, 
I had a lot of problems with that publisher and I was very, I worked very well with them. So we finished the first book. We were supposed to do a series. And on the second book, I was working and I think, you know, I was getting better as I went. And I thought, oh, this book's going to be even better. But I never got a chance to finish it because we just, we couldn't get along um, because he, you know, there was a situation where he kept asking a lot of people for opinions. And I was like, well, are you the final say? I mean, can we move forward with this if you like it? And, um, you know, he took that as uh, me having a bad attitude. So it didn't, it didn't really uh, work towards finishing out the series. And that was something that I, that I learned. Sometimes it's better to, um, to just go with what they say, depending on the prize. If it's worth it, if it's a big enough project, you can, you can work with anybody if you have the right attitude and perspective. So in your experience, would you say it's easier to work on bigger projects than it is like with, with companies as opposed to working with just a person who's hiring you for a small, like personal job? For like, for example, like how my last job, I worked at a custom t-shirt shop and I would have families come in and ask for like family Disney shirts and like thing, little things like that. I find that like when I, when I work with people who are making something um, that is bigger, like a, even if it's just a bigger order, but it's still for apparel and for shirts, there are a lot of the times a lot easier to work with for some reason than like the smaller jobs. Do you find that that's true with freelance or no? Um, in most of the cases, yes, I would say, I would say that's true because when you work with a variety of clients, I mean, my, it, that's what I experience now. I mean, my clients are usually just individuals or small businesses. Um, most of the bigger companies I work with were in, in the past, uh, most of them actually were that that kind of gap between 2007, 2008, or early, real early in my career, which would have been the 90s. So um, it was a different time during the 90s because, yeah, computers existed. Photoshop was there, depending on what year you're talking about. But um, people weren't using it the way they use it now. So a lot of stuff was all hand done. So you were actually hand doing fonts and all that stuff. So the you know, there was a, a way that people work with artists that's changed and the computer has changed that. And so your average individual who's like a family member who just wants something, uh, you know, for them or for a family event is usually most of the time, not all the cases, but they're really nice and they're nice to work with. And it was a fun project and they make it fun because of it. So, yeah, definitely it's easier, um, but it usually doesn't pay as much either. I find that it's harder. Uh, like, like, for example, um, there was this woman who came in and she wanted Disney shirts for her family and she wanted so many revisions. And my last job, the art was free. It was included in the cost of the shirt. So um, her asking us to do like, I think I worked on her artwork for maybe like six hours total. And my manager was like, this is okay. This is ridiculous. You can't, you can't be spending six hours on an order. That's only 80 bucks. Like that's not even worth, like worth just the art doing that. Like you can't be doing that. And she ended up coming in and like screaming at my manager and being like, I'm paying for this. And he's like, well, you've 
because I find that like too when you're working with just like the average person who isn't really used to working with artists and designers they'll tell you okay like I don't think this looks good I want you to make this change and so you make the change and then they say okay can you do this now and so you make the change and they you end up like going in this circle where you end up right where you started because as a designer you know what's going to look good and the person who's asking isn't the designer and so they don't know that that's what's going to look the best so they make you make all these changes until you end up right back where you started um do you find that that happens a lot with with your freelance or no no because the scenario that and and i know yours is just a specific scenario but in my experience, it would never happen because I would, through customer service, I would talk them out of it. And the reason I would do it is because I would say what you should do is you should work with an artist on the art that you want, then bring us the art and we'll just print the t-shirts. Because the business model for, for what you're talking about is not necessarily a good business model. The way that you become more profitable, in, in particularly with the last place you were in, is just printing more shirts. So if, if people come in and they want you to do like too much of a custom job, something that takes more than, you know, a half hour, 15 minutes, even better, but it, then it's not, it does, it's not worth it. And it's not profitable. So in that case, your boss was completely right. And what I would have said to the lady is, you know, you, you might want to find an artist to completely nail down your art, exactly what you want, someone that will work with you and get it, and then just bring your art in and then we can print it. It'll be cheaper for you. and and and, and obviously more cost effective for us. So I, I think, you know, and that's going to come with experience. You're not going to know that um, unless you work with a ton of people and then say, oh, you know, this would have been better if I did it this way. Unfortunately, that that woman needed her shirts within a day. So we couldn't well, tell her to do that. <laughs> Uh, nothing, nothing you can do as an artist about that, but yeah, yeah. Planning on her part, that's, that's what it is. But sometimes, you know, you, if you do it right, again, I, I keep coming back to customer service, but if you do it right, then what you're doing is you're, you're kind of, um, uh, giving them consultation on what would be the best way to do it and what would be effective for everyone. And when you explain it and you bring them in, a lot of times you can calm people down who might, uh, you know, be a little upset about a situation. When you explain everything, you give them the whys. Um, that's true of almost anybody, um, you know, even just starting a job, if you're training people on a particular thing, when you explain why they're doing what they're doing, they're more invested in, in doing it usually. So, Yeah, those are really good tips for dealing with like difficult customers. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I feel like I deal with difficult customers, like 50% of all my work is, is with like all my freelance work that I've done in the past is just people have just been kind of like a little bit ridiculous in, in things. And they're just kind of like, well, I'm paying you to do this. And sometimes they're paying you to do something and you're not, you're not really like getting paid enough to be making hours and hours and hours worth of ch changes, you know? And like, sometimes people are great and they're really fun to work with, but like, I don't know. I just, maybe I'm just like unlucky when it comes to like some of the people that I've, I've worked with, like outside of my. That's where, that's where negotiations comes into play. That's where a contract is good. What I generally work out is two changes in the contract. Any more than that, the contract is renegotiated for the price of the changes. That's smart. And that's very professional. And, and what, what your disadvantage is going to be is just simply 
no fault of your own. It has nothing to do with your talent. It's, it's your age and your experience. People are going to take advantage of that and say, okay, I can get this, you know, and they're going to do whatever I want because they want the portfolio piece and they want the experience. Yeah, I have that problem a lot. So what would you say the solution for that would be if like, I've had a lot of people say flat out, like, I want you to make this for me, but I'm not going to pay you, but you're going to get exposure and that's going to get you more work and that's worth it. And I go, no, I'm not doing that for exposure. <laughs> that's ridiculous. I'm, I'm giving you a service. I'm providing you a service and I would like to get paid. And if you think you can find another artist who is as the same quality as me, who's going to do it for you for free, then by all means, go ahead. But unfortunately, and that's what I meant about in the beginning, when I talked about competition right now, there are a lot of people that will do it. There are people I see on Facebook all the time. I, I don't, I can't even count how many Facebook groups I'm, I'm included in at, at present, but one of them is for children's books and authors are always looking for artists. And there are people on there, they're like, they'll still tell, they'll say on there in the comments, because they'll ask, is there any illustrator, illustrators out there? I'm looking for this kind of book. And and I'll look and I'll look at the comments. They'll say like 183 comments and I'll look and they're like, I'll do it for free if I just have the exposure. And it's like, you know, it's like, okay, I'm not even going to bother because, you know, people will do that because if it's a portfolio piece and it comes out good and the book does well, they don't understand you know, what went into that and, and what's going to happen on the back end, what they lost out on, not even just money, because most artists and myself included, you, you do it because you love it. You don't necessarily do it just for the money, but you still have to pay bills. So there has to be a win-win on both sides. And people like that, they'll just hop from artist to artist and get whatever they get because they just, they're just thinking of themselves. They're not thinking of the collaboration, but not everybody's like that. So it's also potentially, I don't know, but it's also potentially the formats and the way that, that you're getting the work. Um, especially if you, when you know people, it's kind of like when you win the lottery, then there's people, it's like, hey, I'm your cousin. Really? I've never met you before. Can I borrow money? It, it's the same thing. When you have a talent that not everybody has, people come out of the woodworks and go, hey, listen, uh, how about if you just do it for me for free? And then, you know, I'll do this or that. Um, when I started my career, um, I actually worked for skate supplies, um, because it was worth it to me because they were expensive. I didn't have always have the money. So I would do work for a local surf shop and they would give me boards, trucks, wheels, everything I needed. Um, and so I did that for two different shops and I was fine. Because that stuff was wasn't really cheap. Well, I mean, it was cheaper than it is now, but at the time it's it was expensive. Yeah. So you know, it's you have to you have to look at what what's worth it. If you are trying to build a portfolio outside of what you're doing full time, because that's going to be very specific, and people are going to look at you specifically for that. Um, you have to say like, no, I really want to do this other thing for my career, my lifelong career. You got to start building a portfolio in that. Now, if you can get work and it's an internship, then you could say it's worth it because in the end, I'll have a portfolio and I'll have real companies work, but I didn't really, I didn't necessarily profit from it. But if you have enough love and passion for it, then, then it's worth doing it in order for the end goal down the road. So you're saying you think that it would, it is worth it for people to do that for free? 
depends. You have to know your your client. Sometimes it is because if your client is a big client, like I know that you've recently done some uh, album covers. So if if that if if the band is signed by a major label and they mm-hmm. have the freedom to go out and get their own artist to do a cover, it's not always the case. But if they do, and you're going to get exposure on several different social media platforms, plus the fact that you know it's going to the record's going to be sold internationally and they have backing support, they may even use your art on like the side of the bus or or a backstage um, you know background a backdrop that's what I was trying to say they're going to use it for a backdrop yeah it's totally worth it because you're you're young you're only going to build your portfolio if you want to do more work like that other bands will come and they'll be willing to pay you because they're not all like that so it just depends on again who your client is how how big they are what kind of exposure they're talking about because just telling you you're going to get exposure doesn't mean anything because if let's say an example of it was a band and they suck. Well, you're not really going to get that much exposure because they might, they might be pretty good, but if, if they only play local and it doesn't really go anywhere, you know, you have to get, you have to have the right exposure, just not a lot of exposure because it can make a difference. So it, it really depends. You just have to do a little bit of research when someone contacts you, find out who they are, find out how big the prize is. And sometimes it is worth it to do it. That's good to know. Yeah. Uh, so what inspired you to go into a creative field? Um, just, I had a lot of support um, from my family. I had on uh, my, um, my mom's side probably had more of the artists, but people were funny about it because they were like, you know, like, oh, she drew that. No, he drew that. No. And it's like, does it really matter? I mean, aren't you proud of the work you did? But it was weird because they had a lot of interesting pieces that they worked on. And so I had a lot of support both from my parents, but a lot of uncles and aunts. And my dad also, when he was younger, before he went in the military, worked at a sign shop. So I think that he had a little bit of talent, but I don't think that he really, I I think the, the idea of uh, the criticism part of the business wasn't really for him in that way. You know, Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, he did. But I had, support but the the problem was at the time you think i was born in 71 so in the 70s um a lot of people the term and this didn't start in the 70s obviously but you know the term starving artist was used a lot people said oh you're really talented you should do something with your art but don't become a starving artist and it's like you you hear that a lot and you're like okay what does that mean i mean i know what starving means but what does that actually mean in practical terms and a lot of what uh, my parents did. They took me to a lot of art shows, and we saw a lot of different artists. But that's all fine art. And learning about advertising and package design and logo design, in addition to illustration, really got me interested. And with a lot of um, support, um, I was encouraged all along. So uh, cartoons were a really big, you know. Um, influence in my life early on and and so it was easy to kind of gradually get into that but then also start like um my dad got me a lot of books on life drawing and, and portraits and stuff like that so <clears throat> he would bring home he worked um he worked for the school system on the testing and he worked on the early computers those big mainframe computers sometimes you see um and the paper out of the printers was this um 
these sheets of paper that had these holes on the side and they were all perforated. So you could tear off one sheet or two or leave them all together and just fold them. But the way it went through the printer was through these holes that went on a gear. And so he would bring these stacks of paper home. So if I want to draw something really tall or big, I could just leave two or three pieces together. But if I just wanted one of them, I could, I could tear them apart. And I used to draw uh, one of the first things I started drawing from a standpoint of portraits was uh, the rock band Kiss. It was great because they had makeup, so it made it a little simpler. The shading was easy, and I was starting to learn that way. So I had an interest in it. I liked their music, and it just that got me on that side. Um, and then the cartoons helped me develop in a, in a different way. So I kind of had those two things going, and and really just continue to do it. Continually told that you know when you're good at something, it gives you confidence in it, and building the confidence just made me say, you know, this would be great to do this as a living. And, uh, you know, and um, not have to possibly do like a traditional job um, that, that a lot of people, you know, including my dad, uh, had to do. There was a time where he had to work two different, two different jobs before he got his main job at the school board. Um, so um, and a lot of what he did uh, wasn't other than problem solving, wasn't really creative at all. So it wasn't wasn't a bad job. It's just that I was like, I really would love to do art for a living. And uh having support is one of the biggest things when you have support from your, from your family or, or friends and, and people encourage you a lot. It really, it really makes a difference. What would you say to the people that don't have that support? Because I have a lot of friends who would love to major in art, but their parents are like, no, you're going to be a lawyer. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's hard for me to comment on it because I didn't have that situation. And one of the things I would say is it, it, it's kind of sad. And I understand why the parents say that. What, what you have to understand in, in the context of everything is like there are some parents that, that are very, have a very narrow view of what success is. Everybody uh, defines success as something different. So in their case, you know, it's tough because kids can't talk to their parents in certain cultures and certain families the way they might talk to a boss or a business partner where they can use logic data and facts to convince them. It's an emotional thing between a parent and child and the parent may not listen because they think they know better than the child. And in a lot of cases they have obviously a lot more experience and they're and they're gonna and they're gonna know a lot depending on the topic, right? So they're just thinking of success and being able to pay your bills and being able to live freely. And so when you think about what you might have to go through for an art career and a lawyer, if you're capable of being a lawyer, then you say, well, you're going to have better success and a better future, but are you going to be miserable in the job? And I, I think, you know, um, parents who've, who've worked in corporate or have a certain experience and then they had the kids a little bit later, I think they understand that, especially in America. But if culturally, and I don't know your situation the, or the kids' situations, but if, well, if the parents are um, like uh, from different cultures who have a certain opinion coming into the country. Um, it's usually a little bit different than, um, and it's not always true, but different than America, people that were born in America and have several generations in America because America is just like, it's a little less so today than it, than it was back then, but it's just a totally different country when it comes to things like that. Um, you can pretty much do whatever you want if you have a passion for it and you can, you can make a living. Now, some livings that you make will be better than others, but it doesn't matter. Some people don't have a problem just having a small little house and 
having, you know, the fewest bills that they can. They're doing what they love and they're happy. Um, but some people don't look at success that way. So it's, you know, I would say, uh, you know, they have to make a determination how they want to move forward and what what's most important in their life. Is it going to be that happiness and what they do? Or is it going to be, you know, the approving family? And in some cases, you know, they can convince the parents, look, I'm going to be happier doing this. Look, let me show you. Here's all these other artists that make a lot of money. I can make as much money as a lawyer down the road um, if I do this, but I'll be way happier doing this, you know. Um, but some some parents, you just you can't convince. So I would say, you know, just do their homework and, and, and try to express that there's just as much success in an in, in art field, depending on the field they're going into. And that they can, they'll, they'll be comfortable, and they can pay their bills uh, with it, um, and and that's kind of the approach I would I would probably take. So I have kind of like a, a just like an example kind of story about that. So um, are you familiar with the book um, Goosebumps? Yeah, I used to read them as a kid. Um, but there is an illustrator who made the covers. His name is Tim J Jacobus. Uh, and if you want to look at the article, it's on vice.com. Um, it's called an interview with the artist behind the covers for Goosebumps. And he talks a little bit about how if his son wanted to do art, so he's an, an illustrator for the books. He said that if his son wanted to do art, he would just tell him no because of how like damaging it is to... Um, be an artist and have people like constantly criticize your art. And I think he went through that like really hard with Goosebumps being as popular as it is and everybody kind of seeing his art. I think he got a lot of criticism for that. And he said he didn't want his son to go through that. So I know that you have a child who's an artist, a very talented artist, like very ma amazing artist. Um, <laughs> she's great. Uh, so I was just wondering how you felt about that. Do you think that it's it's almost not worth it? Uh, when people are, are being so critical or in your experience, have ever, has everybody just told you that you're awesome and that you're the best artist they've ever seen? Um, no, uh, most, most of the time. Yeah. I've been, I've been told a lot that I'm talented, but I haven't been told that necessarily I was the best. Now it's like your situation at work. When you work with a team of ours, there's a ton of talented people there. I personally like the idea of working with a lot of other talented people and things like that. Now, as far as your question, I would say no, because I think that's why both of us kind of have a similar sense of humor. It's, it's a dry sometimes it's very sarcastic. <laughs> One of the reasons why I, I am that way is it really helps to develop a thick skin and that thick skin, not just in humor, obviously, but in criticism will help you. If you can put up with that, I would say it would be better. The child would be more stronger by going through that. If you coddle that child and you never let them experience any grief or anything at all, they are not going to be prepared for the world. So it would be better for them to go through and experience their own thing because no one person is going to go through the exact same thing at all. And some people are very fortunate and blessed and, and lucky, however you want to term it, um, I, I always tend to go towards blessed, but the thing you have to understand is like he experienced that. Um, but you have to look at the time frame that he did it in, you know, like the year, the era, if you will, you have to look at his own experience, who he worked with. 
And I understand his perspective and you want to protect your children. And of course, your mother and I wanted to protect you and Josh. But at the same time, there are certain things that you will never be able to completely protect your children from. And that type of situation is the least concerning. You know, uh, you could be murdered. You could all kind of other stuff is a lot worse than just getting some criticism on your artwork. So the more that you deal, like even where you work and you're in meetings and people criticize, you know, your graphics and then you have to change them. That with the right attitude is going to build you up. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to make you think differently and make you more professional. You'll be a better artist and a better person at the end of the experience. If, if I kept you from something like that, you wouldn't learn any of it. And I don't think you would be as successful just as a human being in general. Maybe. We will never know. Maybe. maybe. Uh, <laughs> so what does your creative process look like? So I tend to, and, and this is something I know, I'll tie this back into an earlier question about, um, you know, freelance versus a full-time job. Unless you work at an ad agency where you get a lot of, um, a lot of different clients, when you work in apparel and it's with one company, you're going to do the work of that one company. So we, we were fortunate enough to have a lot of different uh, companies we work with. So in our case, uh, it's the same, uh, uh, Caitlin works where I used to work. Um, it was like MLB, NFL, and, and all that's, all these different things. So there was a variety there, right? Um, when you work on your own, one of the benefits of this, um, as far as creative processes, you have to do a lot of research. So my process always starts with research and thumbnails. So in case anybody doesn't know the term thumbnails, you know, no, I'm not talking about my, you know, the nails on my thumb. I'm talking about there are an artist's uh, ideas on paper and the best way to work. And people will disagree with it. You can use your iPad to do them. You don't have to just use paper. It doesn't really matter how you get them, but almost every professional who's, who's good, um, and, re and really solid meets deadlines, all that will do a process of either roughs or thumbnails. And so you do your research on whatever it is that, you know, your subject is and what you have to do. Is it a logo? Is it illustration? Whatever. Um, you get your background, you get some inspiration. Uh, Pinterest is really good for that. Making a board of nothing but a particular thing, uh, just kind of housing it in one place. Um, and then you start to kind of do thumbnails. You get ideas and sketches because generally, and you can do them on the, on what your computer or I like paper. I like a pad of paper, but you don't have to. And then sometimes you can scan that in, or you can just go straight. If you've done it on the computer, like, like an iPad or, or a, um, or a Cintiq or something like that, you can then take it and you finish the idea. So it really depends on, on what the job is, but generally it always starts with, research, then uh, some thumbnails. Um, and then I will either, depending on the client, this is another tip if you have kind of a difficult client, I will bring them in on the thumbnail to rough stage with four or five options because with thumbnails, you can generally do like in an hour, you can do like 12 or as many as 20, depending on what your project is. If it's logos, you could probably do like a page of 20. You may not want to show them 20, you got to overwhelm them. But you can, uh, depending on your client, you can bring them in on that phase. Or you can get a little bit tighter and then start to do some early stuff and give them. I always give options, almost always. Unless it's a big illustration and they want something specific, 
even in that, if there's multiple characters or things in the illustration, um, I will still show them, okay, how does this look? A rough draft of it. And before I go in and actually finish the illustration. Um, but that's generally my, my process is I have those steps that I follow up for almost anything. There's a few things that when a client gives you all the stuff you need, like all the logos, all the images, and you're just kind of putting it together, um, you don't necessarily need to do a rough or anything like that um, if you're experienced. Sometimes you might want to just quickly do a, a thumbnail for yourself. But if they give you everything, you just kind of put it together like a flyer or a, or it's just like a one-page kind of presentation thing. Um, you, you can just put it all together um, as long as you're really strong at layout. But if but most projects that are design, that's kind of that's kind of the process, the research, the thumbnail, the rough, and then the, the final piece. And I try to always listen to the client, give them what they want, but give them the best of what they want, but then also give them some ideas based on what they've told me, what I think would be good for them. Um, and again, it depends on the project, but that's that's kind of my process. Do you think that your process, um, I know you went to school for art for a couple of years. Um, do you think that process kind of got to where it is from what you learned in school? Or do you think it was more from just experience on like working in the field and the best way to do things? Um, it was a, it was a combination of both because when the, there was a teacher that we had, a teacher that I ended up, he was actually the one that got me the job at, um, at, at BF, BF before was the company before Fanatics. But, um, he, that was a process that he taught us, but at the same time, he taught us that based on other artists. So if you look at, um, and you study artists that you like professional illustrators and other professionals, not just, not just fine artists, but if you look at that, um, you'll see a lot of them work that way. So in my research or in my like, Hey, I really like that artist. And you learn more about that artist and you're like, Oh, he works that way. He or she works that way. You kind of learn and you go, well, let me try this out. We, we were kind of in the, in the uh, mid, mid to late nineties. Um, the company, the company before um, the corporate, the corporation bought them was a smaller t-shirt place and they were kind of known for their illustrative images on shirts. And they had a process to separate the artwork so it would print well on the t-shirt. So in the early days, we did a lot of illustration and it was, it was really fun. And we also had the, uh, we had the license to do Looney Tunes. So we did Looney Tunes with the athletic teams. So um, there was a lot of stuff that we, Looney Tunes was actually pretty good to work with. Um, there's other companies and I won't mention them that aren't as good to work with as far as a license, but they were, they were pretty fun to work with. And they let us, as long as we stayed pretty much to the style guide and we did work, it, you know, it, it was fun. So, you know, I, I think, I think it's like, um, it's just a combination of both. You just learn in life, like how you're going to, cause you're always going to make money if you can do something quicker. Because whether you're charged by the, if well, I shouldn't say that if you're, if you're charging by the hour, but with illustrations, you're usually not, you're charged by the piece. So the faster you can get that piece done, the more money you're going to make. So, you know, if you're working by the hour, you don't, I mean, you don't want to cheat people, but you know, you want to be able to do an effective job and, and continue the full process so that you're giving 
you're giving them the value of every penny that they're paying for. So it's a little bit different approach hourly versus versus pay per project. But um, usually when you work faster, you make more money. Uh, you talked about having connections or contacts. Do you have any tips for like networking in the industry? Um, the, today, the way, the way that it works, I mean, there, there's, there's two, there's two main things, right? There's social media and then there's in person. Now with COVID in person's changed a lot, but they're doing a lot of virtual networking events. Um, but the biggest platform for professional networking is LinkedIn. So if you don't have an account, I suggest that you get one, uh, no matter, you know, who's listening to this doesn't matter. And I know Caitlin has one now, but if you don't, I would get one because that is networking in and of itself, getting uh, connections on there, uh, communicating with them on a regular basis, joining groups on LinkedIn and, and posting. So you post, but you don't post the same. Now, some people do. And I, and I see it and I'm like, oh, it's not really the format for that. It's not like a Facebook or Instagram. But when you post your work on there, you're posting it in a different way. The hashtags you use are going to be slightly different. And when you approach it from a professional standpoint and you have professional posts and you do and you do it well, you'll gain connections that way as well. So it's about reaching out to people, connecting people and in industries that you either want to work, you already work or that, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that, you know, that are on there um, as a professional, like once you start working. Um, so, it, you know, I would say you always want to start with in today's age, LinkedIn then you want to also, you know, be aware of your surroundings when you're at places. If you do a drink and draw or something like that and you're out sketching and stuff, you just never know who you're going to meet. Now, you could be drawing with other artists and you're talking about whatever, but then someone comes up and they go, oh, that's really cool. I like your art. And you don't know who they are. And then all of a sudden they end up being, you know, like a record producer and they need some album covers illustrated. So, it, you know, how you talk to people, react to people and present yourself. Um, you always kind of just want to be prepared, but there's the in-person is happening less now, but it's, it's, it's going to come back in the, in the video, the virtual ones are kind of interesting. I've, I've been on one recently. And so they have this, and I don't know if either one of you have done it, but they have these, like the screen is set up and it shows you these different tables. So you click on a table and then there's people at that table. So virtually, it's like now they hear you speaking, you hear them speaking. You can't hear the other tables. You can only hear the table you're on. You talk to all those people. You talk about your experience. You talk about whatever you're talking about. Hey, how's it going? How's the weather there? They might be in a different state. And then you, um, and then you move on to another table. And that's kind of how the event that I went to was. So it's interesting the way virtual is coming up. But if you see things like that, and the subject matter is something that you're interested in or specific to illustration or game art or whatever that you want to do. Um, you can learn a lot from some of the people because generally there will be a variety of people of a variety of experience years in the, uh, in the industry and some that are, um, you know, new to the industry as well, but everyone has, you know, something to talk about. Um, and I think you have to really, Networking, the key to it, and this is stuff that I'm, I'm learning even now, and, and I've learned in the past, but I haven't always been the best at it, um, is, is, a, is a mix. It's not just, hey, I need a job. It's, you, you can't lead with that. You don't, you don't want to do that. You want to be a person. You want to be a human being first. And uh, I like taking the approach 
of um, really, there's a, like a handful of people that I used to work with that I still check in with on a regular basis. And with, especially with COVID, I just, hey, how's it going? Is, it, is everybody okay, uh, you know, with the pandemic and everything? And so when you generally care about people and you just want to know how they're doing, most of the time, yeah, we're doing okay. You're doing okay. Great. But, you know, recently I, I, I did that and I was just doing my normal check-in and, and, then, and then I got involved with the big project because of it. So, you know, as long as you approach it the right way, um, you're going to have opportunities, whether they're on the phone, person to person or email or text, or they're purposely a networking event, you're going to have opportunities that w- that we would have called like face-to-face in, in, in the past. Um, and I think they're going to come back. We're just, you know, we've got to get through what we're dealing with now with the pandemic. But, um, but you know, I would definitely start with LinkedIn and then I would, I would, I would go from there and just, you never know, you could be online at Starbucks and someone behind you, you hear uh, someone talking. I, I did that one time. I forget where, uh, where I was. I was with, um, I was with my wife and I, somebody was talking about needing an artist. I said, Oh, you need an artist. And um, I can't remember. It ended up being, working out for a freelance job or not uh, now, but I remember it happening. And the other part of that is just keeping your ears open, you know, no matter where you're at. So what kind of design projects uh, interest or excite you the most? Um, I think the ones that, that have a little bit of um, a mix of things with them. Um, so Years ago, around that time that I was, uh, the 2007, 2008 period, I've got to work with, uh, with a game company. Um, and they, um, they were trying something new within uh, sports games. And um, so I was able to design a bunch of logos um, that were going to be used as basically as fantasy teams. Um, and fantasy football, if anybody's familiar with it, was really starting to really gain popularity at the time. And all that really means is you, you build your own team out of, out of players that you like. So if you really like this quarterback, that's good. But then, but you want to get a wide receiver from a different team, you're basically building your team from a whole bunch of different professional uh, football teams. And then, you know, you're, you're watching your players every week versus just a single team. And then based on how well your players do, that's how well, you know, your pot builds. Well, they wanted to kind of build a game where you can build your own players in the same way that you would in fantasy football. But then when you create that team, you can give them this fictional logo and call it whatever you want. You could even change color schemes. So it was really cool because it was logo design. It was partially cartooning. It was partially gaming. It was it was a lot of stuff. And um, it, it was cool. And it was a full creative process. You know, I showed them a lot of thumbnail sketches and a lot of things for what we talked about in each of the logos then I was able to 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 mock them up and and make them an illustrator, color them up, and then do a couple of color schemes. And there were some revisions on some of them, but some of them they liked right away. Um, so it was it was really fun because it was it was one particular subject, but it was still a variety in what I had to do. So bigger projects are usually fun if if you have a good a good client to work with. Um, illustrations are always really fun, um, especially when I have a little more freedom depending on what it is. Um, so st- stuff like that. Pet portraits have been fun recently. Uh, and they don't, they can take uh, a day or two, depending on how you define a day. You know, I don't, I don't typically work more than maybe eight to 10 hours. So 
Some portraits I can do about eight. Some might take me as much as 16, depending on the dog or if it's full body. Or I had one recently that was larger and it was two dogs. And those are fun because I like animals and people always uh, generally uh, love their pets and that's why they want a portrait. So I'm not speaking to some, you know, uh, Satanist who kills cats or something like that. So usually they love their pets and they, they want a portrait of it. So it's fun. It's fun to do that. So what about your personal work that you just do for fun? Does that have, is that just stuff that you just draw because you just want to draw it because you feel like it? Or is there like any outside influences from like work that you do professionally to that? No. Um, in fact, specifically, I tried to, to do something completely opposite, especially when I was working uh, full time um at the uh, you know the 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 um the company uh, the apparel company um i let and i mentioned this before you know i really love cartooning um i think there's a real craft to it and it, and not just outside of animation but even just comic strips and comic books in general a lot of um uh, a lot of artists that that i i follow and that i like and that have influenced me over the years are are cartoonists um I kind of put them in separate buckets like fine art versus cartooning. But most of the time, what I, what I really enjoy occasionally I'll do something that's more semi-realistic. Um, like I like to draw, um, dragons and some fantasy stuff like, uh, you know, Bigfoot or, um, something like that. But most of the time I, I, I was very influenced from a young age on, on cartoons and what was happening at the time. So there's cereal boxes. There's a lot of icons there. Um, you could see, uh, have a threadless shop and kind of like a, my kind of semi-realistic rendition of Tony the Tiger. So, you know, I like to take something and put just a twist on it. A lot of times, most of it, I'm just drawing the character and it's pretty close to style guide, but I just put a little twist on it. And I think, um, characters from the cartoons when I was a kid, I really like to sit down and draw. I also like to find very obscure things like, there's a, I don't know where they came up with the name to this, but there's actually a, a character. Um, gosh, is he DC or Marvel? I think he, I think he might be an old DC character, but he was called, uh, he was called the Weezer. And, uh, so he's a band. Big, he, yeah, it is. <laughs> I don't know if that's where they got their name, but he, uh, so he has a W on his chest and, um, and I remember just kind of like looking up obscure comic book characters and saying, I wonder what they look like and then drawing them to see if anybody can relate or remember them from when they were first in the comic. Um, so I like doing that sometimes like stuff that's a little off and stuff that a few of my friends that are a little more um, popular as far as they have a bigger following in art. They're like, uh, you probably shouldn't do that. If Batman's popular, draw Batman. I'm like, well, I don't want to draw Batman, you know? I like drawing Batman, but I mean, using that as an example is like, well, I don't feel like drawing Batman today. I want to draw the Weezer. So, you know, it's something like that. I just like to find sometimes obscure things or most of it, it's, it's influenced by my childhood and just remembering, remembering those things and, and how, um, you know, cartoons are today versus back then. Um, I think there's a lot of good stuff still out there. And then I think there's some stuff that people just kind of throw together um, based on what other things are popular. You know, when a show's done really well and it's popular, 
the tendency in, in corporate is to uh, make a bunch of stuff that's just like it. And then some of that stuff isn't as good. And then it just ruins the original concept that started it all. Um, but, uh, but yeah, cartooning is real big. I try to do most of the time. That's what I'm doing is just cartooning. But, uh, but occasionally, you know, I'll do, I like to draw stuff in my sketchbook that has a little more uh, realism to it. Um, but more often than not, most of my personal stuff is cartooning, unless I'm painting. Um, so it, as, as you know, I'm painting. I, I've been helping your mom with her Etsy shop and doing not a lot, but a few things here and there. So I've been painting stuff on, on wood, uh, like pelicans and stuff that have to do with uh, the seashell kind of theme. So uh, sometimes I'll do sketches for that. Or that's why I kind of started abstract painting years ago, because it was very um, therapeutic. It was very relaxing. I didn't have to have a thumbnail. didn't have to actually paint something specific. It was relaxing to paint and trying to get textures and colors and things to work together in a different way. Sometimes it had imagery um, and sometimes it didn't. Uh, the, my, my influences are pretty broad and wide when it comes to fine art. Um, and when I was in early school, before I went to the, the tech school that I went to, um, I did go to community college for a few classes because I got a scholarship and I figured, well, I might as well spend the money. So um, the teacher there was a little more fine, fine art driven. And uh, so she we did a class on art history and we went through um, uh, different techniques like um, like cubism and like impressionism and things like that. So there was things that we studied and uh, and we did uh, uh, pieces for, and so some of the influences that I picked up from from that or early on um, in my childhood. Sometimes it's nice to to do stuff like that, but most of the time it's just in a sketchbook and it's it's cartoons. So you talked a little bit about how like your your friends that have bigger followings on social media will draw things that are popular like specifically like to gain more followers um do you think that's the case with most famous artists or do you like social media famous artists or do you think that um there is more possibility to gain followers by just doing what you want because i haven't really i kind of stopped posting on on instagram as as much as i used to um just because i wasn't really seeing like the growth that I wanted to see doing just what I liked. And I feel like a lot of people don't really want to see what I like to draw because it's just kind of weird and like, doesn't really have anything to do with like the reason that they followed me for. So like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that that is, is like a good thing or a bad thing or. I, I, I mean, I really think it's just an opinion. It, it, it depends on how you look at it. When, when people, what you have to understand is is something it's just like music when something's popular it's generally popular for reasons that that people outside of it don't understand but it hits all the marks it checks all the boxes so um and what i mean by that is like music today is a little bit different now there are some that bands that still play real music versus just sampling or digital stuff but normally you know a good song checked all these certain boxes a good melodies uh, you know, good singing, all these different things. Um, and art is kind of the same way. So a good artist is going to have a following usually no matter what, if they're involved in something that's popular, meaning that a lot of comic book artists, 
Some have more than others, even though you know them, they're, they're, they're well-known comic book artists, but some of them might have two or 3,000 followers and some might have 100,000 followers. And it's really strange. It's like, oh, I really like this guy. I wonder why he doesn't have more followers. And then this other guy has a lot and they're completely different styles. So I, I think that the data shows what I've recognized is that most of those artists that have that aren't necessarily known outside of social media that are like real known artists, the ones that are really popular that you know from other things that before social media existed, usually have a ton of followers because everybody just wants to follow them and see what they're doing. They're like celebrities, if you will, but just on a different a different level. But the people that are just popular, mainly on social media, that didn't really that, that don't really have that career or aren't popular outside of it, um, that's what they'll do. The 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 evidence is there that they just say, okay, there's a new, uh, forget what's coming out next. I know they did the, the, um, the new mutants. So if you take that as an example and you have a lot of artists, what you'll see, at least on my feed is I'll see a, a bunch of different new mutant characters and they're tying into the popularity. If the movie, I don't know how well it's doing now, but they're tying into a popularity of something that's going on now. And it's just a strategy. And it's not necessarily to get more followers because majority of them will, um, depending on who they are, will have an online shop and they're selling prints or they're selling or they're doing commissions or something like that. So, the more you know, it's kind of like a photographer. They may take 100 pictures to get one good picture. So you might have to have 100 followers to get one follower who actually buys a product from you. If, if you're, you're selling it. So, you know, and I don't even know if that ratio is consistent anymore, but it used to be at least a hundred to one. It could now be like a thousand to one, but that's really where you kind of have to, to look at it. Like, you know, if I want, if I want to do well, I've got to get more people looking at my stuff. And, um, if, if that's what you're doing, you're trying to sell your own artwork. Um, and most of those guys, that's what they do. So, so, you know, they work on stuff that is more popular because more people are going to search that and more people are going to find their stuff. Maybe they'll like their stuff more than they like someone else's. Um, and that's going to be a determining factor in, in actually taking money out and purchasing a product. So it really, it really just depends on your, on your goals. If you're just doing it to get followers and you just want a lot of people to see your work and, and be involved in the community of artists in that way, then it really, do, it really doesn't matter. Um, I think if you, uh, there are artists that I follow that do nothing, but there's one guy, he does a few things more than dragons, but most of what he does is just different dragons. And, uh, you know, he has a decent following. It's not a lot, but the work that he does, he's a concept artist. And a lot of what he does is that. So perfectly understandable, but if you don't like dragons, then you're not going to care for his stuff. So does he have as many followers as someone who does the more popular things? No. But does he care? I would assume not. Seems like a nice guy. So he's probably happy with what he has. Well, um, I think we're at over an hour. So I think uh, now is probably a pretty good time to wrap it up. Um, did you want to go ahead and plug your social medias and um, how people can support you as an artist? Uh, yeah, but I don't know, really know how they could do that. I mean, I guess they could follow me, but sure. Um, yeah, so you can uh, follow me on Instagram at, at Billy Merriman Art. Um, and just, um, uh, Be Merry Art on uh, Twitter. 
And uh, my LinkedIn is just um, Billy Merriman. Um, and I ha also have an art station. If you're on art station and you want to look at some of my professional, that's just going to be, again, my, my name, um, Billy Merriman at uh, art station. Threadless is uh, a little bit different. That's um, it's uh, BVEX at threadless.com. BVEX is just Billy Vector Effects. Uh, most of all the illustrations I do for the t-shirt are through Illustrator and their vectors. So uh, that's, uh, you know, B is in Billy, V is in Victor, E, C, X. Cool. Cool. All right. Um, so that, that pretty much wraps up this episode. Uh, thank you to everyone who um, made it this far into the episode. If you're enjoying uh, our podcast so far, be sure to go ahead and follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is at Artwise Podcast. And um, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please go ahead and leave us a review or a rating. It really helps us out. Um, but yeah, I think that wraps it up. And thank you to our guest. <laughs> oh, yeah. And thanks, sorry, my dad. Yeah. Billy Marion, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. It was fun. Cool. Yeah. Um, thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.